my name's Cameron, and I am a great driver. I am. I use my turn signal when I'm supposed to. My wife thinks I drive a little fast, but that's up for debate. Uh, I try to follow all of the traffic laws, and I'm a great driver until there's traffic. <laughs> until there's a detour. And then it gets congested, and then, you know, you're looking over your shoulder, and you think you, you're, you're going to avoid cutting somebody off, but inevitably there's the horn, and you're like, ah, oh, I blew it again, you know. I cut somebody off in traffic. So that's why I wear a CC, have a CCV sticker on the back of my car, just in case. In parking lots, don't even get me started on parking lots. People that are driving with me in the car in a parking lot, I frequently hear, what are you doing? What are you doing? Where are you going? And I'm like, I don't know, there's no signs. You know, on the road, it's very clear. Like, there's lanes, and you know where you're going, and you know when to stop and when to go. In a parking lot, it's like, it's a free-for-all. And I'm sorry if I almost hit you. It's, it's just, it's, it's confusing. It's complicated. Some of you are looking at me, and you're judging me right now, and I, I don't appreciate that. But I think this is a great example for life and for relationships. Like, we I am an awesome husband as long as I, I feel like I'm getting, you know, everything that I want, you know, when I'm thinking about me. I'm an awesome dad until I spend all day with my kids. <laughs> you know, I'm an awesome friend when we talk about what I want to talk about. I'm an awesome pastor when you all listen and you nod your head and then later when you tell me, you know, like, I, 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 you lost me somewhere, at the, you know. But we, this is the reality of the life in which we live, is that if it, if it was just up to me, if there's no cars, we're all great drivers, right? There's, you, you, we're all awesome drivers if there's no traffic and no detours, but those things are inevitable in life. And so there's tension. In community, in relationships, there's tension because we have to interact with one another. We have to live with one another. We're created in the image of God. And that's what it says. The scripture says we're created in the image of God, which is an incredible calling. You were created in the image of God. But we're also capable of doing some great harm to one another. In the digital world highlights this. You look at Instagram, and like frequently I'm like, wow. That is awesome. When I see what some of you are doing, you know, it's like, wow, that is awesome. When I see some pictures, uh, my friend Ryan, I know, like, he got me following some accounts with pictures. It's like, wow, creation is beautiful. But then I also see, like, endless scrolls of, like, we, we are really mean to each other. And we use this tool, this device, like Matt talked about last week, in kind of in incredibly destructive ways. But we do this in all of our relationships, in marriage, in parenting, friends. And, and it reminded me of this, this verse in James, James 3, 9. It says, with our mouth, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's image. And, and we can be barreling down the road singing worship songs, you know, at the top of our lungs, and then cut somebody off. 
And that's the reality of life together. It's complicated. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about an example. It's kind of a dramatic example, but I, I shared this at man camp. I just thought it was so good. So there's, there's a, a man who grew up in a Christian home. He grew up going to, to the Catholic church, Catholic school. He, um, he did incredible things. He lifted an entire nation out of a time of despair. He mobilized people against unimaginable odds with a clear vision and inspiring passion. He set in motion, single-handedly, an industrial and scientific revolution that produced the first computer, the first jet airplane, and began the human exploration of space. Incredible. Unlocked the mystery of nuclear energy. Almost every aspect of the modern world has, in one way or another, been influenced by this human being. And at the time of his death, nearly everyone knew his name. He has impacted all of our lives. And his name is Adolf Hitler. That's him on the, on the left. Adolf Hitler just like all of us, was made in the image of God and was born with incredible potential. And how did he use that gift? How did he harness that gift in incredibly destructive ways? And the man here on the right, some of you may know just by his picture, his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Can you say that? Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He has become one of the most influential Christian authors and pastors, but for most of his life, he lived in obscurity. He was loved, deeply loved by people that knew him. But he wrote a book called Life in Community, and he talked about what it's supposed to be for us to live in community. And he started this small school in Germany, some of you know, he died just 29 days before Hitler did because he was plotting with a group of people how to overthrow the man on the left. But no, at the time of his death, almost nobody knew who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was. And it, it's interesting, this, uh, this man, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he started a small countercultural community in Finkenwald, Germany, did I say that correct? Finkenwald? Something like that. Heiner knows. He's probably been there. Uh, with the purpose to become salt and light. But his friends were skeptical of him. They were highly skeptical of him. It was a small little community. And so the story goes, one of his friends went to see him and to convince him, you need to shut this down. You're going to get killed. Like, we don't want you to, to be killed. We, we love you. We care about you. And he took his friend on a hike and put his friend in a boat, and they went on this lake until they could see in the distance a Nazi training camp. And his, the story goes that Dietrich looked at his friend, and he said, what we're creating here has to be stronger what they're creating there. What we're doing here has to be stronger than what they're doing there. And so he did. He created this community. I have some pictures here of, of some 
of the community that he created. And people came to his school, and they were discipled in the ways of Jesus, and they were nonviolent in the way they approached it, and they approached it in love. And he said this, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who actually loves those around them will create community. This has to be stronger than that. And that's kind of what we're talking about in the series, it's complicated. In small, practical ways, we have to, in some ways, think about, am I being transformed into the image of Jesus? And I'm, am I conforming to his image, or am I conforming to another image? Is what's going on inside me stronger than the complicated world we live outside of us? Because there's lots of different ways to be human. Ways that lead to life and abundance and healthy relationships and flourishing communities, or ways that lead to broken relationships, injustice, violence, poverty, despair, and depression. And that's why we need to be honest about the path in which we're living. And when we find ourselves confused in parking lots or in a detour of construction, to come back to what's the path? What's the path that God has me on? Because the reality is, is, is some of you know, I have had friends that they, they think the way we live as Christians kind of is giving a bad reputation. Because we, we believe or think one way, but the way we act is a completely different way. We sing songs of love, but we treat people unlovingly. We prioritize church, but we overlook the person who's right outside our door that needs help on the way. We run maybe a thriving company and then treat people like a means to an end. The truth is, though, we're in good company because the disciples did the same exact thing. And frequently, they were found arguing and being prideful. They're like, Jesus, I just see him getting kind of annoyed, but he knows, like, he's working with us. We're all in a process here. We're all in a process. And so Jesus is getting, in, in the, in the storyline of Scripture, we're approaching the point at which Jesus is on the cross, okay? So Holy Week, Easter week. And Jesus knows, Scripture tells us he knows that the time was near. This is in John 13. Just, we're going to dive into this, this story for just a moment. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Okay? It's at the end of his ministry. And it, this is pivotal. Like, he is like kind of, you know, every single moment is important, is incentive essential. When you look at Jesus' life, as we get to Holy Week, right before he dies on the cross, every moment is incredibly important. So he, he sat his disciples down, and one of the last things he did, it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It's John 13. By the way, even if other people give up on us, 
Isn't that encouraging to know that Jesus will never give up on us? He loves us to the end. And the evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So we got up from the meal. Okay? So the disciples are eating together. And Jesus got up from the meal. And he took a water basin. And he wrapped a towel around his waist. And he took on the actual role of a servant. I mean, just think about it. We're getting to this place. He had just walked into, if you know the story, he had just come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and people were proclaiming basically his kingdom. He's a king. And at the most important moment with his disciples, it's all been leading to this. He gets up from dinner he wraps a towel around his waist and he kneels down and he washes the feet of his disciples. Because when Jesus looked at his disciples, he saw dirty feet and prideful hearts. And he knew if I just tell them to love each other and to be people marked by serving, they're not going to get it. <laughs> I can't just tell them. I need to actually show them. And so he does. He dives into an embodied way of proving his point, and he washes his disciples' feet. And Peter is appalled, if you know the story. Peter is appalled. He said, no, not, not me, not my feet. And Jesus says, unless I do this, you have no part in me. For the Son of Man, there's another part, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life away as a ransom for us. That's, he, he crystallized his mission in this moment, kneeling at his disciples' feet and washed his disciples' feet. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And verse 9, Peter says, well, then not just my feet, all of me. Wash all of me. It's a beautiful story. And I feel like that sometimes. You don't have to raise your hand, but <laughs> Jesus, just wash all of me. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm so far off the path. I'm so far in this detour. Just wash all of me. And he does. Jesus does. He loves you. And he would get down and wash every single one of our feet today if he could. If that's what it would take. Whatever it would take to prove to us that he loves us. And then he said, wash one another's feet just as I have washed yours. Whoa. Whoa. So he just knelt down, took on the role of a servant. The, the one providing dinner would never do this. He took on this role. He washed his disciples' feet. And then he said, now you wash one another's feet as I have washed yours. And then just a few verses, he says, love one another 
as I have loved you. He took great pleasure in expanding his kingdom through community, through relationships, through one another's. And we need to become one another people, okay? That's my point. We need to become one another people. Because that's what he said. The world will know you are my disciples by the way in which you love one another, by the way in which you serve one another, by the way in which you treat one another. This one another statement became one of the most popular statements in all of Scripture, all of the New Testament. What would happen, okay, this is, this is kind of my question for us to ponder and chew on. What would happen if all of those who were skepti- skeptical of our beliefs, skeptical of Christianity, skeptical of our faith, became captivated and envious of the way we one anothered one another? What would happen if people driving by our church, said, I don't know what goes on there, but I can tell you they've got For the Valley shirts and they love one another really well. They one another, one another. (laughs) Some of you have heard this quote before. Mahatma Gandhi said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Whoa, where did we get from Jesus in that moment? Like, yes, Peter, not all, just all of me. I'm sure Peter came out of that just so hyped to serve and love one another. And then we fast forward to to Gandhi, and he's saying, your Christ is so unlike your Christians. And I would argue there are a lot of people in our society that would say the same things about us, about the car that's a CCV sticker that cuts them off in traffic. What if this phrase, what if this quote was, I do not know your Christ, but I'm inspired by your Christians? What if the people outside of the church, the people that have never stepped foot in a church said, I don't know Jesus, but their Christians are incredible. Those followers of Jesus, one another, one another. And it, I mean, we could change the world. This has to be stronger than that. The way we're being formed into the image of Christ here has to be stronger than we're being formed outside the world. And it's not just on Sunday mornings, okay? It's not just for an hour on Sunday mornings. That's why we have this goal to serve outside the walls of this church two times. I would say my, my goal is frequently, frequently enough that people say they're one another people. Not just two times a year. I'll one-up Matt's goal or Ryan's goal. Like frequently, as often as we can, to become one another people. And I hear a lot of times, you know, I'm looking for a church that, that meets, meets just my needs, Hey, I talk to a lot of people that come to our church. But, but that's not why the church exists. We don't exist just to meet my needs. Like, we, we do benefit from the church. We all benefit from the church community. But we do not exist solely to meet my needs. 
we exist for the world. If this is your church, we need you to partner with us to change the world, to one another, one another. If you're not using your gifts to serve, you're selling yourself short. It doesn't just happen on Sundays. It happens all the time. I told my son yesterday, he was like, Dad, like, why are we serving? Why are we picking up trash at Fountain Hills High School, okay? I said, because when we serve together, we're not just going to church. We are the church. When we serve outside of the walls of McDowell, we're not just going to church like we do on a Sunday. We are the church. You are the church. When you pick up trash, you are the church. When you feed all the starving children through packing meals, you are the church. When you go out here outside of our walls and pack food, you are the church. When you treat one another in love, you are the church. And that's what we need more of in our world. That's what we need more of. I do not know your Christ, but I am inspired by your Christians. So one another's. There are actually 100 times in the New Testament that one another's is mentioned. 94 different verses, 100 times. About 59 different one another's. And here are a few of them. This is not a concise list, but we accept one another. Be at peace with one another. Be devoted to one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be patient with one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Build up each other. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Go to the next page. Next slide. Forgive one another. Greet one another with the holy kiss. I, I don't get that greeting this morning. I think the holy kiss part is optional. But greet one another. Love one another. Pray for one another. Serve one another. Submit to one another. Teach one another. I mean, again and again and again, Paul and Jesus and James, all the writers of the New Testament said, we need to treat one another with one another kind of love that Jesus showed to us. Again and again and again and again. One third of the one another commands in the New Testament deal with unity. It's about being unified as a church. Imagine what we can do together. You think you can one another good on your own? Imagine what you can do with a whole community of people one anothering one another at the same time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep saying one another, one another, one another. I practiced that in getting ready for today. One third of the, these one another commands instruct Christians to love one another. So one third unity, one third love, and almost one-third is about humility and service. And then four are about kissing. <laughs> Any high schoolers in the room? Just, you know, it's greeting. That's kind of what we're talking about. Um, but again and again and again, if you just search through Scripture, one another, one another, one another, one another, again and again and again. Andy Stanley, a pastor of a church in Georgia, says, when people outside the church think about folks inside the church, the items on this list, the items on Paul's list of one another should come to mind. We should be the best neighbors, employers, employees, friends, partners, coaches, spouses, parents in the world. We should be the best. 
This has to be stronger and better and greater than that. This has to be better than that. And sometimes I feel like it's, we make it too complicated, don't we? Because we're driving in traffic all alone, and then all of a sudden, you know, we, we, we find ourselves in, in traffic on a detour. And I think this, this is just a simple reminder today. And many of us are doing this. So this is not, you know, it's not like, man, we are, we're, are awful at this. No, we're good at this. But I think we can be better. I think I can be better. I know I can be better at one anothering. So I, I want to walk through a quick passage here, and then I'm going to highlight five one another's I, I want us to practice this week. But Paul, there's one passage here, Romans 12. It's worth sitting in Romans 12 for a while. And Romans 12, it's an incredible letter. Romans 12, we, we quote the beginning of Romans 12 a lot here. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. But Paul goes on in Romans 12 to talk about community. And it's, it's incredible. So if you, if you have time this week, just sit in this, this passage. But I'm going to start in verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. That's what Jesus modeled for us. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Basically, this passage is saying all of this, all this one another's. Pray for one another. Be patient with one another. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse. You know, James, we talked about at the beginning. Hey, out of the same mouth come blessings and curse. Don't curse people. Work more and more toward blessing people. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of even low position. Do not be conceited. I mean, whoa. What an incredible passage. And he just keeps going. He just keeps going. Like, I could spend probably the rest of the year just in this passage, just work, God, I'm in process. Help me, help me to become a one another type of person. But there's one, one phrase in here that really stuck out to me as I was reading it this week. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Fervor. Isn't that interesting? Keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Because here's the temptation when we talk about one anothering one another, is it becomes about the action. It becomes just about feeding people. And it becomes just about opening the door for people. And do, those are all good. But right sandwiched in the middle of this, be devoted to one another in love. Doesn't that feel like it's, it's just out of place? But I think as Paul's rattling off all of these one another commands, he said, don't miss Jesus in the midst of your serving and loving one another. Don't miss the Lord. That's our starting place. Deep intimacy and unity 
with our creator. That's what births a one another lifestyle. We don't just attach on all of these one another ways that we treat each other out of a deep intimacy and deep love with the Father. And that's what Jesus modeled for us. Jesus was very needy with the Father. And out of that love, out of that starting place, he changed the world. Jesus was deeply united with the Father, and that should be our goal, and that should be our starting place. To be with Jesus is the greatest of all endeavors that we can put ourselves to. If we know him, like Matt was saying earlier, if we really know him, he wants to be with us. If we really know Jesus and spend time at his feet, we will know how to serve and love others well. If we really know him, often we just jump into the action. And that's, what, that's our starting place, is Jesus But then, if you're deeply stirred by the Father, then there's no greater joy than to love the people he's put in our path. There's no greater joy. So as we close, I, I want to just walk through five OAs, five OAs, one another's, that I'm going to encourage you to work on practicing. And you can practice right after we dismiss. You can walk out there and uh, you, can, you can serve for Serve Week. Number one is encourage one another. Encourage one another. I believe the church should be one of the most joyful, encouraging, and hope-filled places you could ever step foot. I really believe that. That's why I love our greeting team. I love our first impressions team. I love our trailhead coffee team. I feel so greeted and welcomed, but we should all be doing this. Encourage one another. Send a note, send a card, send a text. Give somebody a call. Encourage one another. Secondly, bear one another's burdens. We need to care for one another. We have to be, as a church, caring for one another. There's not enough uh, ways that we can care for one another. Just all the more. Pray for one another. If we believe in a God that really hears us and wants a relationship with us, then don't, shouldn't we believe that he hears our prayers and he wants to answer them and takes great pleasure in answering our prayers? Pray for one another. It's one of the most practical things you can do. And don't just say, hey, I'll pray for you. Like, let's stop. I'm going to pray for you. Make a list of people that you're praying for Number four, forgive one another. Now, this one's interesting because in order to forgive one another, we have to be deeply rooted in community. If you're never having to ask for forgiveness, then you're probably not at a deep enough relationship with your friends. Stay in community. Grow deep in community. In order to, you get to the place where you have to say at times, I'm sorry, a lot of times we just, we get shallow in community. And, and as soon as things start to go haywire, we, we ditch it. That's not what true community is. True friendship, true relationship is sometimes you're going to go bumper to bumper with people that you love and care about. And you have to say, I was wrong. I am sorry. Forgive one another. And lastly, love one another. 
Jesus, right after he washed his disciples' feet, said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone in the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Could this be greater than that? Could the world know we're his disciples by the way in which we love and serve and care for and pray and encourage and forgive one another? I think that there's no greater response to our creator than to love those he created. There's no greater response out of that deep seed of intimacy with the Father, Father to love and serve one another. So this week, maybe you've been wandering off the path a little bit. Maybe you feel like it's too complicated. Like it's really a simple act of love and service to each other. We start there and just see what God can do with a bunch of people in a community in an alignment with loving and serving and praying for and forgiving one another. That's our goal this week. And that's, I hope, if you miss nothing, it's like love one another. Jump in somewhere. Go through your journal this week and just think about things you can do for the people around you. Let's pray. Father, your sacrifice and love and servant-heartedness and grace is incredible. And you show us your radical, all-in love. Not so that we can get puffed up ourselves, but so that we can go out and love the people around us. God, give us grace as we pursue that. Help us, God, in that simple reality that you've called us to love one another. We need you, God, and we need your encouragement in this pursuit. May you go before us, may you go with us, may you go behind us. May it all be about you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. All right, see you next week, and I hope that you will one another, one another. Thank you, guys.